0: Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to design and develop cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings, as much as the buildings themselves. So I think the easiest and best place to always start is with you introducing yourself okay. and what you do.
1: Okay. So uh, my name is Kevin Rush, and I am the Director of Regional Economic Growth for the Glasgow City Region. So that means I've got responsibility for driving forward the regional economy in in Glasgow. So that's an economy of 1.8 million people. So it's the largest and only metropolitan city in Scotland. Um, uh, About 34% of the Scottish economy based within within the city region. So I have overall responsibility for for taking that forward. And within that as well, I've got responsibility for the Glasgow City Deal, which is our main infrastructure programme across the city region.
0: So can we talk well, let's start with the city deal yeah. and where we are it's a 20 year program yeah. where are we in that program now
1: So we're 5 years in we've just we're going through our first gateway review which is where you give an assurance to the government's that uh, you're spending the money wisely and you're spending the money Um so we are very confident that uh, we've just been through the, the gateway process but but things are things are progressing well we've seen significant uh Development in a number of the sites, Site Hill being the most obvious one in the in the north of the north of the city, um, but a substantial number of projects across the the wider region. We've spent about two hundred million pounds of the the investment already, and it's a it's a challenge for us because when I got this job two and a bit years ago, I was tasked to make the Glasgow City Deal exciting to go and tell people how great it is. And the problem is it's really not it's one of the dullest things (laughs) imaginable it is incredibly boring and it's boring for a reason because a conscious decision was taken at that point so we were given the the chance to put together an infrastructure program of of over 1 billion pounds and at that time in negotiations with the government we had to demonstrate a gva return now the easiest way for us to demonstrate a gva return at that time would have been to address the market failure that was at the time in the city centre and build shiny office blocks for the private sector. That would have been the easiest thing for us, for us to do. But we took a much longer term view than that. We took a view that we should invest in creating the conditions for growth. So land remediation, improving connectivity across the, the region. And we're really starting to see the benefits of that. So Site Hill is a, is, a, is a prime example of that. A brand new community which is going to be built just 10 minutes from from the city centre but previously an area of real real deprivation cut off from the city centre by a motorway that goes right through it so although it's 10 minutes away it would take you half an hour to, to walk into the to the city the land itself had been contaminated since the french revolution believe it or not um and as a result of that no one would develop on the land so we took the, the view that our citadel investment would go in underground creating the, the conditions and the private sector investment would, would follow. So what that's enabled is, is over 250 million pounds project from a relatively small scale of public sector investment. And that to me is the kind of the way in which our, our city deal works. So Sighthill is, is really progressing incredibly. I think having seen it a couple of years ago, people are going to start moving to, to homes there uh, next year an absolute transformation. And the bridge, the brand new bridge as well, which goes over the motorway and suddenly that means that people are connected into the city centre in a way that they never were before. So that, that's a really good example, I think, of, of how our city deal has been constructed and what I think we expect to see over the next five years as other projects similar to Site Hill throughout the, the wider city region progress.
0: And how will you measure the success of Site Hill? I mean, you've got the creation of more homes in this this connectivity for the new community, but are there other measures that you're going to look at um, as you reflect on yeah. whether how that was spent?
1: So yes. So again, initially when we negotiated the deal, it was straight GVA. Straight GVA, UK government said, just yes, we'll give you the money and make sure you give us some economic benefit, which is which is fine. That can sometimes lead you down a certain if you probably pun a certain road because That tends to prioritise projects which are easier to demonstrate. GVA, they get prioritised because you're quite good at measuring them. We've started to get and I have to be honest, the Scottish Government have been have been good at driving us in this. We've started to get a bit more nuanced about inclusive growth. So how do you start to measure things which go beyond GVA? We've had flexibility now from the governments to say, okay, we still want to see some economic benefit from this, but we want to see participation from from different groups. We want to see public realm improvements, we want to see the things that actually can make a difference to people's lives over and above just just that, um GVA. So we've had some work done through. Um, we have an independent commission chaired by the principal of Glasgow University, and they've done some pilot work in Sighthill about how you measure inclusive growth in a in a brand new um, community. And that started to give us some of the metrics that we will start to use and track uh, over the next period. Obviously, as I say, it's still showing the government's that economic benefit in case they're listening. Uh, but there are there are other ways that that we think uh, can actually have a more transformative long term impact on. In this city.
0: So I think that's that's worth um, kind of picking up. I mean, somebody um, said in an interview the other week, there's no such thing as um, an easy site anymore, and you know, Coach Cutis. Kind of They're all done,
1: yeah. That's true. Uh,
0: and uh, that supports this idea of investing in in remediation or site remediation, yeah. but also um, around the kind of infrastructure that you need. And I know um, reading one of the blogs that you you wrote uh, talking about how there is some deep-rooted deprivation and pockets of deprivation yep. in Glasgow and then there are overheated markets yes. that have really been sure. growing. Yep. So how do you go about tackling that with um, with the city deal projects and what do you see as um, essential to kind of unlocking those areas?
1: So there, there are different elements to that. So Glasgow as a region I think is probably unparalleled certainly in the uk in terms of its contrasts we're, we're the classic tale of two cities in just about everything um we've had really strong gva growth over the last 10 years and yet our deprivation the most deprived areas in scotland are here that the figures that came out last year showed that greenock city centre is the most deprived area in, in, in the country so that economic benefit isn't isn't shared by by all of us so we have a decision to make which is what we have been thinking about with the deal which is there are some areas where you have to accept that the best way that you can help people there is to improve the connectivity from those areas into where those jobs might be. So that's improving public transport or, or even in some cases road links from, from those areas. But there are other parts of the, of the region where I think you have to take a more... Um, so what I'm looking an uh, interventionist approach where you go and say, okay, you're 45 minutes at least from, from the city. You live in areas where car ownership is substantially lower than everywhere else. Building a road there isn't going to make any difference. We need to understand how we can invest in the conditions there. So, in Inverclyde, for example, which is where Greenock is, there are three city deal projects that will do exactly that. They, they invest in, in the areas around there. One of them actually is to uh, open up the cruise terminal market, so to allow uh, overnight visitors. Now actually, that's a classic project for us in the sense that with the best will in the world, uh, American tourists are not spending the night in Greenock. So they come in and that is something that they then travel to to here or to Edinburgh, or to the rest of the country. But there's still a big economic benefit for, for, those, for those areas. So I think it's each part of our, our region understanding how it plays its part in the wider system. The reality is a lot of the jobs are now in city centres, that's the way in which economies are working. So we need to understand that in some cases that means improving the links to those areas rather than creating new economies which won't survive.
0: Everybody's talking about productivity, and I saw this figure that Glasgow's increased productivity by 30% in the last decade. Correct. How? And <laughs> what does it, I guess, what does it mean to yeah. increase productivity, I suppose, is one of the things, and why, you know, why is Glasgow uh, managing to, I mean, it's expected to have higher productivity than Manchester, Liverpool, and Cardiff in a short number of
1: years. So the biggest, uh, you'll be aware the city's slogan is people make Glasgow, um, the the biggest strength and challenge for us is in our, our people if you like so our skills base is substantially higher than most other UK cities Um, so again going to, in terms of the UK core cities which is the 10 biggest cities out with uh, London um, only Bristol has a higher degree of um graduates in the workforce so we're up about 45% of the workforce educated to degree level and in in Great cities like Manchester, Liverpool, Birmingham, it's down in the kind of low thirties. So that's a really big thing. And what that tends to mean is it drives slightly more productive sectors. So we're quite good in some of those sectors which have high productivity like finance and business services. Creative industries as well is one that we're very strong And a lot of that comes because we've got the skills base to, to sustain those. But at the other end, obviously, we have also, I think, the highest proportion of people with no qualifications whatsoever. Um, we're not a city that really does much in the middle (laughs) you're one or the other here it would seem um but that productivity growth has largely been driven by the the skills base that we have and the um two things one we've got some good sectors but also we've got quite a broad-based economy we're not reliant too much on individual sectors so if you take a 10-year period some really productive cities like Edinburgh suffered a bit in that period because they had real strength in financial services so just now they're having boom again because of uh, financial services on its feet again we were never as reliant in on one sector as that so that helped us sustain shocks that, that others couldn't.
0: The. Um... You brought up shocks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <And>
1: which one? <laughs>
0: I mean, it would be fair to say that um, Brexit has renewed yes. the independence movement uh, in a way that perhaps it was hoped um, that a question was resolved, which is now... Uh, an open question again. Let's just say, um, is that something that's of concern when you're looking at these these projects on a, a short or long term? Or I mean, whether we talk about independence or Brexit or both together, mm. um, when you're trying to look at resilience in the broader sense of the word, how do you you tackle this kind of greater political um, instability?
1: So, I think we've kind of got used to dealing with political instability. Over, I mean, it's become the new norm. Mm. Um, and obviously, the independence referendum was was a Scot- specific to, to Scotland in the run up to twenty fourteen, but actually the, the the general sense of um, uncertainty I think has been far greater during the Brexit process than it was in the run up to twenty fourteen. Um, I think in the run up to independence refer- referendum, the first time we didn't really see any drop off in terms of investment in the city. We saw a, a very small amount in the two months prior to September 2014, but that rated itself two months afterwards. It was just a sense that people were just holding back to, to see what, what happened. Um, I think that the challenges that come with uh, Brexit and, and the negotiations we're in just now are probably more substantial for us than than independence. And I think if you look at over that, that period, um, I mean, even there's a lot of confidence still in the city. So even in 2016, what year is this, 2020, 2018, Um Barclays came and built, uh, or announced Scotland's biggest ever investment on the, on the River Clyde, 7,000 jobs in, in the river in a, a high value sector. And that was with the twin uncertainty as people would put it of Brexit and, and independence. Because I think there's there's a general sense that um, these things are, are manageable and, and are managed. And it, it's not a city that is in, in crisis because we're constantly asking ourselves constitutional questions. I think there's a sense that we're just getting on with with things and there's nothing really there's been no evidence to suggest that the market is is taking any cognizance of this now obviously i think if there was more of a sense of you know declarations of udi or something from scotland that might be a different uh, position but i think the the general approach that the government is taking is, is relatively calm in that and is reassuring the markets so nothing that we can't handle
0: I think the, the Avenues is a really interesting project. We've got cities across the, the country talking about how um, you renew high streets, how you change the way that we yeah. think of our city centre. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that project and what it's doing and its ambitions.
1: Yeah. So the Avenues project, um, £150 million pounds from, from the city deal. Um, and it's about changing the way in which the city centre operates. Our city centre is built now. A grid system, a kind of classic grid system, which is why we're quite often used for, for American movies. Um, but the Avenues project is about trying to reimagine how the how the city can flow, how we can green the city centre in, in a different way to move away from the kind of traditional monoblock and cars travelling through the the city that we have just now. And these things really matter. So even at the start, when um, when we were prioritising GVA investment, there's a big economic benefit that comes from investing in public realm in the city centre. Huge investment that comes from that. And at, at the time, um, it was someone from Post Office Bank who who said to me that he was a Glaswegian based in London, and he said, you know, you really need to do something to change the perception of Glasgow. He said because I have colleagues who, if they're coming up to Glasgow, will say, you know, is it safe for me to to leave my hotel room at night? And he said, you know, make me so angry, I could. Bring their neck which kind of disproved his point but i think investing in, in your city shows a confidence in it i think it and the avenues project in particular i think is, is really going to reimagine the way in which this the city center operates that will then lead into other discussions about how cars start to flow throughout the, the center itself because we've got the grid system it's quite easy to to move cars it's quite easy to have a pretty one-way system throughout there but i think the policy aspiration is to start to look at maybe moving towards prioritisation of, of pedestrians um, and the avenues project so if, if you've been up at all obviously um, Suckey Hall Street which I, I just noticed is, is mentioned in the previous edition of developer um has had quite a challenge over the last few years but the avenues project and the investment that's starting to enter the top of Sucky Hall Street is not just improving the way it looks but it's, it's changing the way it operates the green the greenery etc that, that's in there um is is hugely important and again just to the point about Public sector investment bringing private sector investment off the back of it. The Barclays development would not have happened without the city deal investment. You know, there's there's no coincidence. The head of city deal, the head of the projects in here, Carol Conley, is the the lead person for engaging with Barclays because they really want to see that public realm investment that's coming from the avenues project, because it makes such a huge difference to, to their workforce. So I think it showed a lot of confidence from us at the time to choose that as a project that that assumed that other investment would come in off the back of it. And I think we're starting to see the benefits of that now.
0: For the green in the city, how much of um, that uh, decision or that kind of ambition, and I know there's the green network as well. Yep. Um, was that informed by the kind of air, pl- I mean, there's an air pollution issue in Glasgow yeah. like in many cities was that one of the inform- informing? So reasons?
1: so yes I mean uh, the most uh, polluted street in I told you we were a <laughs> city of contrast um, the most polluted street in Scotland is, is Hope Street um, which is right in the heart of, of the city centre so that has always led us to so we've tried different things we've tried you know trees I, I don't even know what they're called there was a like a tree panel thing that we we put up. Uh, Within two days, it looked dead. So there was a sense that well, it was a good idea, I think the pollution was was too much for it. So there's always been a sense that the city needs to do more, not just in terms of the look and feel of of the city, but how we can tackle some of those those air pollution issues. There's other ways, of course, in which you can do that. I think removing vehicles from the city centre is the the best way that you're going to remove that pollution. But I think the greening of the city, uh, I think, has been quite important in that as well.
0: I saw that there was kind of mention of a, a glasgow metro yes <laughs> is that another idea i mean is that one of the barriers to removing cars from the city center is just that the fact that mass transport is not absent but it's just yeah. a, a, at a different level so
1: absolutely and um sorry to to riff on a theme here about two cities um prime example of this as well so glasgow has the biggest rail Suburban rail network outside of London, great rail system. No matter where you are in the the wider region, you can get into the city. And yet, our bus usage has the biggest fall in Scotland. We've lost hundred million passengers in the last few years, and that's because the the network is just not good enough. There is not it doesn't serve people's needs in in the way that it can. And if you have aspirations to remove vehicles from the streets, <clears throat> it's fine to say that you're going to to think about. You know, closing certain streets or having a low emission zone, et cetera. But the best way that you're going to change that behavior is to give people a viable alternative. So the metro is, is absolutely in, in the, um, the, 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 the way in which we think that we can tackle big issues there. Particularly, so the Metro, I mean, I guess you don't know the, the wider region, but it's aimed at the southwest of the region, so connecting the airport, the hospital, Brayhead shopping centre, the new National Manufacturing Institute for Scotland, which is going to have about 10,000 high value jobs out there, and a metro system that connects all of those up, I think will have a major impact in, in removing cars from the road. Now, it's not expensive, it's not cheap, sorry, I wish it was not expensive. Um. And we're in some discussions with the, the Scottish government about how that could potentially be be funded, but they do their what's called strategic transport projects review, which announces the big projects that they will invest in in Scotland, and it's about this time next year they will announce that. We have very much put the metro in the mix for that, and the general feeling we have is that it's Glasgow's turn. Uh, so they do this once every ten years ago. The one ten years ago invested in the Queensferry crossing, and the edinburgh to glasgow admittedly um rail line improvements but we think that this is a project of of such national significance that it's about time that that investment came to the the city
0: edinburgh had a lot of pain putting its trams in how painful would the metro be it's always nice
1: to have someone to learn from i think (laughs) (laughs) um i think there's there's a lot of experience there that, that genuinely i think can be can be used i think that we would have to work very closely with the National Transport Agent, Transport Scotland. In fact, I think we would be asking them to take a lead role in terms of the the project delivery. Um, I quite like the Edinburgh trams, to be honest. If i would be honest, I I do like them. I'm glad I wasn't involved in the development of them. But I think there's probably a lot of learning that that we can take from that that helps inform this this project. One thing that we do need to, to improve, you know, and obviously these days everything is viewed through the prism of, of climate emergency. But we do need to improve access to the airport. You know, if people are still going to fly, just now they fly, they get off, they sit in either private cars or taxis and are stuck in four-lane motorway traffic that goes nowhere. We're one of the very few cities that has no direct rail link to, to the airport. So the metro could do that, but rather than just having it straight from the airport to the city, something that serves a wider conurbation, I think with a far greater impact.
0: Where did these bus passengers go?
1: We don't know. Um, we, we simply don't know. There's some elements that maybe, you know, changes in terms of how people work these days. So A bit more increase in, in home working, but there's not 100 million journeys worth of home working being done uh, these days. I think from, from the feedback that we tend to get, it's that it, it's not a viable option for the, the traffic is too congested, it takes too long, the buses are... Not the best condition. Um, so they, they move on to other modes of modes of transport. But what that tends to lead is, is an increase in congestion. So um, we had a connectivity commission last year that looked at what how the city should should function. They recommended the metro for us.
0: Has there been an increase in cycling?
1: So yes, there has been. But again, the infrastructure is not there to support it in a mass way. You know, the, the connectivity commission talked about prioritization, prioritization for um, active travel. So taking cars off the road and, and promoting cycling and, and walking. But just now there, there simply isn't. I mean, I, would, I live in the south side of the, the city and would love to to cycle but I'd be taking my life into my hands in, in some parts and that's a, a decision that, that's not easy to take. But the commission itself looked at things like, <clears throat> you know, a bus in the city centre and a four-lane road in the city centre, a bus can move about 12,000 people an hour, cars about 800 to 1,000. So if we are clogging that up with cars, we're moving 12, 12 times fewer people. So there's, there's easy things for us to do there that we can, if we can try and make these alternatives a bit more attractive, but just now they don't seem to be particularly attractive for people.
0: Have you considered a kind of um, ultra low emission zone or some kind of congestion charging?
1: So we have a low emission zone and Scotland's first low emission zone is in Glasgow. So it was introduced, very competitive, aren't it? So it was Scotland's first to be the biggest in my life. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, eh, the first was was introduced eh, here eh, just at the tail end of 2018. Um, and that's just now just focusing on local buses actually in terms of low emission zone, as a four year transition period by 2022 it will be for all for all vehicles and that i think is very much been driven by so i mentioned hope street earlier on is the most polluted street in the country and that's heavily that's all the buses go down that street i think that's what led to so much of the pollution so this is the attempt to try and to try and tackle that so it's it's been looked at i think by the end of this year i think edinburgh Dundee and aberdeen will also have them in, in scotland um but I think you know we won't actually really see the major benefits of that until 2022 I think when it's all vehicles because I think just now it's still a bit of a, a bit of a transition period
0: Do you think COP26 coming here I mean it's quite a big deal having this um, all the eyes of uh, yep. considering climate change are going to be on Glasgow Yes, and it's quite soon
1: it's quite soon Yes.
0: so I don't know how much change that can bring in but there must be the, the, the desire at least to to make some kind of announcement yep. or to have some kind of um, as the attention turns to Glasgow to have something to say Yes. so it's a, is that a conversation that's happening right now it's
1: absolutely a conversation that's happening just now I think um, obviously the announcement in COP was, was just before Christmas. There'd been some work in the run up to that, but it was, you know, it was always quite soon. It was always, you know, you know 15 months maximum. So as we sit here just now, eight months, nine months until uh, it arrives. So a lot of discussions about what announcements might be, you know, the eyes of the world will be here, as, as you say. I think from our perspective, there's quite a lot that the city and city region is doing in sustainability. There's a reasonable record for us to talk about, but I think there's an aspiration to do a lot more. And I think one of the most obvious areas for us to focus on, particularly since COP will take place on it, is the river. So to do a lot more with, with the River Clyde. The the river here I think is probably the in all sorts of ways the greatest untapped resource and Western Europe, probably. I mean, it's when you look at how other cities have used their rivers, we have never managed to, to do that effectively. Uh, so many issues with, you know, flood risk, etc. Uh, these days, but the river could be the absolute heart of the wider city region. It goes right from Inverclyde all the way across to South Lanarkshire, names which will mean nothing to, to you, um, but, but local areas that, that, that we have here. We could use that as a, as a source of energy. We could use it as Development opportunities all along it to to bring it to to life and to, to vibrancy. So we have there's a piece of work that's ongoing just now to start to look at what that might look like. How do you do that? One of the, the first things you would want to look at is a tidal weir or a barrage, so something that similar to the smart canal in a much grander scale, but allows you to control the water flow. How do you ensure that it suddenly is a prime location because it's not going to flood? Because just now the guidance and pretty much all of it is you can't build anything on the ground floor there because it's at risk of risk of flooding and it's a city where it rains quite a lot so you need to be kind of mindful of of that so, but i think in the run up to cop i think the river will cont- will be probably our greatest focus to start to to think about bringing it back into more productive use
0: do you think that i mean you mentioned smart canals we were talking about it it's really quite an incredible yeah. project and again another example of of using um you know, quite tricky infrastructure to unlock yeah. an area that couldn't be built on before. Yes.
1: So the Smart Canal, it's, it's besides Side Hill actually that, that I mentioned earlier on. So it's a way of effectively using technology to uh, remove excess water. So it was initially from the North Glasgow Integrated Water Management System, which was part of the Metropolitan Glasgow Strategic Drainage Partnership. They finally settled in Smart Canal, which I think we we're all delighted <laughs> about. Um, so it's a way in which you, you can manage excess, excess water. So you have a couple of pools that can take excess water away, uh, or you can you can open kind of sluices, if you like, to, to take <coughs> water away into the to the River Clyde. And what that means is that part of the city, which was quite prone to, to flooding, uh, is now will not be because we, we can manage it in quite an intelligent way. Not massively expensive investment, but again, that sense that it suddenly brings to life a whole area that, that was never able to be developed on at all. The excess we can take, I think it's 22 Olympic-sized swimming pools worth mm. of, of rain, which is how we measure rain in Glasgow <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's a good thing for us to have and I think it's something that w- would be pretty useful I think for for other cities to learn from because we're not unique in having having these issues and I think it's, it's a, a genuinely transformative project
0: but the river remains a bit of a risk is would you say that's the primary climate uh, risk facing um, Glasgow or I mean it seems strange to say it but is it overheating a, an issue <laughs> um
1: I guess an issue for all of us. I mean, I think the, the the Paris Summit. I think it was was it three three degree increase in temperatures over over this century. So I mean, I think it, it, it will be an issue for us. But I think you know only in the sense that it may lead to increased rainfall, which I think is something that we are more at risk of than anything else. So it's, it's not. If I was thinking about climate climate risk and climate challenges, it's it's there, but possibly not the, the highest. Mm-hmm.
0: I um, I was reading uh, again, speaking to your point about extremes, um, that Glasgow had the the lowest life expectancy in the UK, which is a pretty terrible
1: statistic. Yeah, it's not great. not massively pretty. No.
0: Is that something that you're actively considering with the city deal? And I, I don't even know how you begin to to um, unpick how uh, city development can help with life expectancy. but um, but maybe you do. It would be
1: good to hear. Okay. Um, so we've made great strides in this in the last few years. And, and what, again, we're even within our city region, a real contrast. So there's always a figure given, and I'm not going to get the, the numbers right, so I won't try them. But Drumchap in the northwest of the city has very, very low life expectancy. If you hop over the border to Bearsden, which is a 10 minute walk if that life expectancy increases by 14-15 years it's incredible so quite clearly the, the biggest indicator of or the biggest driver of um, of low life expectancy is poverty that's that's the thing that if we can if we can challenge that and of course development can make that big impact in poverty if you can improve people's living circumstances, if you can improve their connectivity to where jobs are and get them meaningful work. There are other aspects of the city deal which aren't aren't infrastructure related as well. So we had something called the Working Matters Programme, which was an employability programme to help people back into work. And this is, these were people who, due to changes in the benefit system, you know, in many cases hadn't worked really ever and were now assessed as fit for work. We had someone who was on that programme who was unemployed for, I think, 48 years, which barely seems possible, now assessed as, as fit for work. But the average period of unemployment was about 13 or 14 years. So really difficult to reach groups. And if you can make a difference to to those people that's when you can make the impact on those kind of entrenched challenges that, that we have. So absolutely I think the City Deal, either through the labour market project or through, you know, if you take Sighthill as an extreme example. The people who lived there before will have the chance to go back if that's what they wish. Now Their homes have been away for for some time, so many of them will have moved to other areas. But if they do choose to move back, they'll be moving back to an area which encourages a way of life that's completely different from what they they had before. They won't be isolated from in the way that they were before. And that will have a major impact on on life expectancy within within the city. So absolutely, I believe that what we're doing can have that impact.
0: So many cities are now struggling with this idea of... People having been left behind when regeneration projects have yeah. come to an end. Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, that's something that um, London does a lot of soul searching at, but also it's something that um, other cities who are even partway through the regeneration um, journey are kind of thinking thinking about and considering projects that maybe didn't deliver the promise to the citizens that they, yeah, they sure. said they would. So I guess. That's, I, I don't know what the, the question in there is, um, but how, you know, I, I guess there is, has been a, a loss of trust amongst um, the people yeah. about uh, the, the great promises that, that we make and how much we can deliver them.
1: Yeah.
0: So how do you... Um, reach out to those uh, communities build that covenant of trust and show that you're delivering
1: so it's a good question and it's one that as we move into project delivery i think the teams are aware of i think so there was some criticism not just of our city deal i think of all city deals about the way in which projects were selected the sense that it was done away from communities, people weren't involved in the, the decision, and the nature of doing a deal was was such that, that people felt excluded from that process. I think what's important now is to make sure that we don't replicate those mistakes, we move into project delivery. So I, I've given Sighthill as an example several times, but the, there's a series of community engagement work that's going on there to make sure that people feel included with the the deli- the project as it delivers to ensure that what ultimately comes because there's still scope to change how a project looks and feels to make sure that people are people are listened to. Um, and I think it is something the individual teams are, are really keen to do. I'm
0: thinking about um it's COP26. We're kind of what, 15 months down the road? from now. Is it 15? No, no, no eight, no, no, no. eight, no, no. eight months. Eight months down the road. No, I think, it's, Not nine. Even I think it's, nine. it's nine. Nine months. It's no away. Like a Don't baby. scare me. Nine months, <laughs> COP26 is born. And
1: um, Well, Trump may come, so it is nine months. Well, Trump's here.
0: Up. Greta Thunberg's here. Yeah. What do you hope they. I mean, you talked about people being um, scared to go out of their hotel rooms at night. <laughs> yeah. What do you hope they walk away? Um, I mean, maybe you don't hope Trump walks away talking about Glasgow. It's never a good idea. But, uh, <laughs> what do you hope that the the eyes that come and turn to Glasgow, um, what opinions they they'll form? So
1: states? I'm sure that I'm sure they'll go with an opinion that it's, it's a city that's more than capable of hosting an event of this size. I mean, that's. it's it's something that we are very comfortable doing. So I hope they go away for a start with with that. But I think in terms of the wider world, I I would hope that they go away with a sense of a city that is grasping the opportunity to uh, position itself, I guess, at the forefront of of tackling climate emergency. There are some incredibly um, ambitious targets from this city about uh, net zero. Uh, So, you know, carbon neutral and net zero by 2030. Um, You
0: make a face like you know exactly how you're going to tackle (laughs) it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> there's some some work to be done just to to uh, to work those things out but i think you know again a feeling that if, if the city comes together in partnership with the universities and, and others we can get to, to those ambitious targets there's no point in glasgow was one of the first to to declare a climate emergency we had extinction rebellion on our climate emergency working group so we're not hiding from the challenges we are we're asking the the people who will give us a hard time to tell us what we need to do. Um, so when you start to think of an economic development sense about a just transition to a new economy, we're just about to understand how many jobs we think that we need to, to help us uh, in those technologies of, of the future. So I really hope that by the time COP comes around, the people who are either here, pe- people who are here have a good time, that's generally what you, you expect from when someone leaves Glasgow, but the people who are watching, have a sense that it's a city that's that's more than taking this seriously it's doing something about it
0: net zero for construction is a, is a huge challenge yes i mean when you think about just construction vehicles and <laughs> material resourcing and um even site remediation mm-hmm. or um, yeah the whole nine yards not even looking at um emissions from the buildings <laughs> during their lifetime which perhaps is the bit that we understand the best. Um, What are you looking at uh, in terms of construction or starting to think about now with those deadlines looming and you know how much is is an offsetting uh, kind of being relied on as part of that that plan?
1: (laughs) At the moment quite heavily I think offsetting is you know obviously I think the way in which it's easier for us to conceptualize as well I think it's it feels as though, obviously, the declaration of a climate emergency has just transformed the way in which suddenly people ask these these questions. And I think there eventually is going to have to be a trade-off between cost and carbon neutrality, because I think the the cost, even never mind construction vehicles, but even the cost of an electric bus is so, so much higher than than a normal one that eventually we're going to have to take decisions on, on these things. So just now there's a lot of discussion about offsetting. There's a lot of discussion within the city in particular. The city has six golf courses that it owns, the council, which they're currently looking at options for. Um, options
0: to plant them with trees. Well,
1: that, that's one of the things that I think they need to, to consider. And that, that again goes back to that question about you need to take the decision because some of them are in pretty prime locations. So they'd be perfect for housing sites. But you take the decision, well, rather than the housing site in that area, we will plant a forest. Um, these, I think, are the, the tough decisions that are going to have to be taken over, over the next few years. Because otherwise, we're just saying that it's an emergency and not actually doing anything about it. Um, so these are kind of live examples of decisions that I'm glad to see are not mine to take.
0: <laughs> but you probably do have to look at modern methods of construction, prefabrication. Yes, yeah. So a
1: lot of that, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we've done a lot of work with things like Construction Innovation Centre and others to, to look at um, some more modern ways that we can we can construct buildings. These all come these all come with a cost, and that's what we need to to understand because. The deal is great, $1.13 is is great, it's not that much money, though. and we've committed to a programme of investment. So if in those the cost increases because we're looking at new ways of doing things which are carbon uh, neutral, or at least less carbon positive, then we need to understand does that mean that we don't do other things that we were going to do before because there's a finite amount of, amount of money? So.
0: Or is it that you start to say, well, if we take all those cars off the road or we take these buses off the road... Yes then that offsets
1: perhaps our construction yes Uh so there's other ways so i mean if we were to not to make a pitch again for a metro but if we get a metro that'll take a lot of cars off the road i would say that offsets a lot of construction work
0: well i think i've asked you all my difficult questions (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think it sounds like a hugely exciting time for the city and i i think I think that, you know, that coming back, I had put the Clyde kind of all over my my notes as well, that sense of the river, which is so central to the identity of Glasgow yeah. and its history, yeah. but perhaps doesn't have that grand role anymore. Yeah. Um, so I think it'd be interesting to see how it can kind of regain that.
1: Yeah that status yes i think you almost don't realize that it, that it oh, is a bad and you don't realize that it goes, it goes through the wider region so within a mile of the river there are about 500,000 people living so that's the size of edinburgh who live within a half a mile of, of the the river our three innovation districts that have emerged all happen to be within touching distance of the the river. There's one just outside the Glasgow City Innovation District, the Riverside Innovation District, and the Advanced Manufacturing Innovation District. All happen to take you along the the, the river itself. So without even realising it, it does connect parts of parts of the city I mentioned. COP, which is going to be at the SEC complex, which sits in the river, BBC Scotland sits in the river. All of these things which we don't really join up in any meaningful way that have still substantial amounts of of, uh, vacant and derelict land along along it. Um, If we could do something right along there, I think we could really, really transform this region.
0: Is there a river transport service? Uh,
1: No, there's a very, very minor man who goes out and rescues people who jump in it. (laughs) So we can cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> no, and actually part of the reason there is because of the, the depth of it certain areas, because we can't control the, the flow uh, as well. So that's again something that we're looking at whether or not there's capacity to, to change the way in which it operates, that so there would be a river transport service that brings you right into the to the city. Uh, we're also building a bridge across it for the city deal, which has to open and close to allow uh, ships to, to travel, which is now we don't use it in that way at all,
0: uh, I just want to ask what it means to have an innovation centre. Do, do you get a special discount for basing yourself
1: there, or, uh, or no? No. <laughs> uh, so it's I guess it's it's the idea of a cluster of of. In, in most cases, actually, public, private and academic sectors. So bringing together a, a kind of honeypot idea that, that you, you build an innovation district, which has a lot of work done by the Brookings Institute and what an innovation district uh, might look like. But you bring together people who kind of crash ideas off of one another and become centres of excellence. So just just here at Strathclyde University, the, the GCID, um, they have got the UK's first Fraunhofer Institute, which is kind of, um, and they've got some advanced manufacturing uh, stuff They also have uh, Clyde Space, who are satellite manufacturers. We build more satellites than any city outside Silicon Valley, which no one knows about, about Glasgow. Similarly, down at um, the Riverside Innovation District, it's, it's based around the Southern General Hospital, like Queen Elizabeth University Hospital. So real strengths in life sciences and precision medicine, there are huge advantages. There, but what they tend to be is a kind of cluster, an area where people will go and work with other people within the wider district.
0: What's the city's role in creating that honeypot effect?
1: So, different in different areas. So, we put some money in through the city deal to the, the Glasgow Riverside Innovation District and the Advanced Manufacturing Innovation District, which is in Renfrewshire, also was. Uh, spurred by Citadel funding. Uh, just now, the, the GCID has the Tontine building, which was also funded from Citadel, a business accelerator. But we're also looking at additional funding for that through a uh, growth accelerator model fund. Uh, so, I, again, we feel as if our role is to be supportive and provide some stimulative capital, I guess, which, which helps to, to build it. But the universities and the main are the drivers of them.
0: So did, who comes up with the idea first, or is it kind of in partnership?
1: It's in far? partnership. So in, in all of those cases, there's a kind of an oversight board, which is a partnership between the university and the city.
0: And does every university want one?
1: Everyone wants one, yes. But I think you can't you can't say you have one without actually having something to back it up, or else people wouldn't take it seriously. And I think in both of the, the city universities and both the city innovation districts, they have... It's a bit like, you know, in a Scottish context, we're keen to do more work collaboratively with Edinburgh, because they're quite different economies, they're quite different cities, they've got different offers, and and on a global scale, neither of us is quite big enough to to seem like a big city. But put the two of us together and you get 3.3 million people, that's that's of of scale. And it's a bit like that with the universities here, they have different strengths in different areas, and that means that. As I say, life sciences down at the at Glasgow University and advanced manufacturing and, and space and uh, digital health and others at, at Strathclyde. They have a track record of, of delivery, which I think means that it's a bit more meaningful than just saying we're an innovation district.
0: I never really expected you to say that Glasgow and Edinburgh wanted to work well, we closely do with each other. <laughs> <laughs> No, but we have had some, have some
1: kind of discussions. With them, and I think, as I say, we're only again, you know, if you look at the Northern Powerhouse, etc., in, um, in England, you're only forty minutes away from from Edinburgh. There's no distance between the two of us. We we will go to, you know, inward investment events, but the best one in the world. People are people talk about Scotland, maybe, but they don't talk about the individual the individual cities. So we need to recognise that there are real strengths there are areas in between there that serve both economies. But we don't compete because we are, we are quite different. We're much bigger, um, but, but they, have a, they have a really strong, high value economy as I mentioned earlier on. So I think there are strengths in us promoting that wider conurbation that actually might benefit both of us rather than being in any sort of competitive environment.
0: And you know, after all, most places in London, yeah, it takes you 40 minutes to
1: get Well, to. precisely, yes, exactly. exactly.
0: Well, I think that's um, been really great talking to you today. Well, thank you very much.
1: Thank for... you. <laughs> great
0: this podcast has been brought to you by the developer produced by simon mercer with music by fortet i'm christine murray and you can reach me on twitter at at tcmurray